0: What's up, everybody, and welcome into the under the hood podcast. I'm Jonathan Hood, who? Jonathan Hood, who? Follow me on Twitter. And Instagram and also on Snapchat, Twitter.com, tweet J Hood on Instagram, IG Jay Hood also on Snapchat, Snap Jay Hood. Also check out the Facebook wall, Facebook.com. Look for the Jonathan Hood podcast page on Facebook. I hope that you are checking out Cap'n J Hood because we're having a ball Monday through Fridays between 7 and 10 a.m. I'm with David Kaplan for Captain J Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app, the Description of the podcast is in the description of this podcast, so you can click the link and subscribe. Leave five stars in a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google. Thanks so much, as always, for your support, not only in this endeavor and everything else that I do. Thanks so much for checking out the Under the Hood podcast and, of course, Captain J. Hood mornings on ESPN 1000. Well, we got a lot to talk about as we kind of review what happened on the show um, this week. Of course, the number one thing is the Bears, right? The Bears, offensively, have been anemic. But change is a-coming, y'all. Change is a-coming. Because, listen, the Bears have scored the fifth fewest points, 19.8 per game. Gained the fourth fewest yards at 317.8. And are the second worst on third downs at 32.3% conversions. Worst? Second worst on third downs, 32%. No team gets less from its ground game than the Bears. 82 yards a game. And quarterbacks Nick Foles and Mitch trubisky they combined for the NFL's seventh lowest passer rating at 84.6. So when I give you fifth fewest and fourth fewest and the second worst, and when I give you uh, one of the worst ground games in the National Football League – That is an absolute disaster. Shitty offense, again, for the Bears. Keep in mind, I'm from here, born and raised in Chicago. I've been riding and dining with the Bears for a long time. And let me tell you, it seems like I've seen a lot of this. Maybe I haven't seen it this bad uh, in a long time because even Cutler kind of held up some of those offensive numbers when he was a quarterback. But, man, you talk about the pits. You talk about toward the bottom of a lot of categories offensively. It is really hard to watch this Bears offense. And so change is coming, right? One of the big picture topics that we've talked about on Captain Jay Hood, and I think you've heard me talk about this over the years anyway, and that is that you need a fresh set of eyes on this offense. Keep in mind, Matt Nagy comes in, right? Matt Nagy comes in, and he's supposed to be this offensive genius, this person that comes in that has a lot of plays and ideas from his days as a quarterback to being a coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs under Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. So he becomes a head coach in this league, and then he comes to the Chicago Bears, and this offense can't move the last couple of years. It's stuck in neutral the entire time. I should say stuck in park because in, at least in neutral you can push it. You can push your car, right? You can push your vehicle if it's in neutral. If somebody gets behind you, you can push it uphill or push it. Some this offense will not move. This dog won't hunt, and it, it's just really, really poor. Every time you look around and you look at this Bears offense, and so now change is coming with this Bears offense because Matt Nagy yesterday in his press conference said that. Uh, there's going to be a new play caller, and it's Bill Lazor, which is kind of tripped out for me, right? Because Matt Nagy was so strident and just kept telling everybody that, no, 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 I'm going to be calling the plays, and if there is change, you won't know. And then all of a sudden on Friday afternoon, I'm just chilling, just watching the news and kind of just going through some notes for the college show today. And then all of a sudden, Matt Nagy says that he's going to give a play calling. <laughs> I couldn't believe it my I couldn't even believe it myself because Nagy's always said, "Oh, if we do make a change, you won't know it." Well, Monday night the Bears are going to take on the Minnesota Vikings and now everybody knows that Matt Nagy's going to give up play calling. I mean, if you don't believe me, hear it for yourself.
1: Good there. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep, I can hear you. Ready ready when you are. You can go ahead. Good. All right. Well, we just just got in from uh, from a good practice outside. I thought it was good and, uh, you know, get ready to get get our uh, third down goal line and and nickel out of the way and get back to red zone tomorrow. Um, You know, before we get started, I just wanted to I know one of the things that we've been discussing all week is, uh, you know, you guys have talked about is the the play calling. And I just wanted to let everybody know that, you know, I made the decision to go ahead and pass up the play calling and I'm going to give it to, to Bill Laser. So it's a decision that, that I made. We've been talking about as a staff. And I, I said to you guys the last couple of days, keeping it internal. And a lot of that was for um, really the idea for us to collaborate as to where we're at and how, how can we be better as a, as a staff? How can we be better as a team? And as you all know, um, you know it's very, very important for me um, to make sure that I'm doing everything I possibly can. To to make the best decision for the Chicago Bears, and I think right now that's where we're at. It allows me to um, to be, to to really look at all three phases from the head coaching position, you know, and and focus on that. Um, I've been a part of this before this situation at, at other teams, and and really have focused on the positive that that have come from it. So um, you know, I'm I'm excited to to uh, to to let Bill take this over and and he has experience in this role i think he's going to do a great job and it's something that uh for us um it's gonna it's gonna be you know um something that we all just decided together like hey let's go and and so it's it's a lot i think it shows the belief too that i have and that we have in the coaching staff so i just wanted to make sure that you all know that you have that i think it's important and uh um, really, with that, other you know, we don't have any more updates in regards to the COVID reserve with any of the the players. It's very similar to that concussion protocol deal, so that's where that's at. And then you know, the injury game statuses uh, will come out tomorrow in regards to the the game. So that's that.
0: Yeah, Mad Nagy is giving up play calling. You know, instead of continuing to tell. Fans and media like, you know, if we do give up play calling, if I give it to someone else, you'll never know. He kept being coy about it, wouldn't say anything, and now buried yesterday on a Friday, here's Matt Nagy saying that he's giving up play calling. Well, good. Good for the Bears. But but I want to point out a couple of things, and I'm going to give you what I think is the real truth. Dan Pompey, who I really respect and enjoy from theathletic.com, wrote this. He says, if the Bears could have eliminated... All third quarters this season, they would have had three fewer points scored and 73 fewer points allowed. Subtracting third quarter points would have turned losses to the Titans and Rams into ties. And it would have made their loss to the Saints a victory. So the Bears record minus third quarters would be 6-1-2. Which is kind of a funny stat, right? It's kind of funny that he was kind of playing around with the numbers. But the thing is, is that when you look at all of these numbers here, like the Bears threw 52 passes, but not one to Cole Komet, the player that they wanted more than anything, Right. The guy that they wanted, you can't get Cole commit a touch. Jimmy Graham had six catches for 55 yards and a touchdown, but it seems like his mistakes, like his false start Sunday, often are more significant than his accomplishments. Um, you know, with a concussion and a fumble that was returned for a touchdown, David Montgomery, 2.1 yards rushing average. 2.1 yards rushing. You see... There's a lot of numbers that you can look at with this Bears team, especially the loss against the Titans. The Bears should have beat the Titans because the Titans defense isn't very good. And they had problems trying to stop teams on third down. Mike Vrabel's team, and Mike Vrabel, by the way, is the head coach for the Titans and the defensive coordinator. He does both. And yet somehow, someway, the Bears let one guy beat them. And Brown, uh, Derrick Henry couldn't even run the football against that Bears defense, but yet the Bears could not win the game because of how poor they are offensively. And so we heard from Matt Nagy there. He says he's going to give it to Bill Lazor. That's great, but here's the real truth. The real truth is, is that Bill Lazor or you know, Dave Ragone or Matt Nagy or whoever, right? whoever's calling the plays, Will that play caller be able to get around to circumvent the issues with this offensive line? When will Nick Foles have enough time to throw? And then when he, then when Foles does have enough time to throw, will he connect with Montgomery if he plays? Or Allen Robinson or Cole Komet or Jimmy Graham or Anthony Miller or Mooney or whoever the weapons are, Riley Ridley? Will he be able to connect to those guys? You see, all 11 players on offense need to be able to find a way to come together. They, the Bears are going through a three-game losing streak. I think it's a winnable game on Monday night. I think they can win the game, um, and we got a chance to talk to Pete Bursich, Really good guy, Pete Bursich. He's a color analyst for the Vikings. He's from Chicago. So he's got family here. He's connected to the city, but yet he's the Vikings color analyst and has been doing that for years. Um, He knows that the Vikings have not necessarily turned the corner defensively. Uh, They've had some injuries in the secondary. You would think the Bears could be able to exploit some of that and that Dalvin Cook is really the major Offensive weapon for the Vikings. That's that's just one guy running the football. But what about the rest of those Vikings? Can they be able to uh, make a difference against this Bears defense? I don't know. Uh, I think the Bears can win. Uh, it's a three-point spread for the Bears against the Vikings. I think they can win the game. But I don't know why I'm feeling so good about a possible victory when the Bears offense has just been so bad. Uh, Michael Lombardi who does a great podcast with Adnan Verk was talking about the Bears and how inept the Bears look offensively.
2: We talked about Tampa Bay, poor offensive showing. Well, if you want putrid offense, look no further than the Chicago Bears. I mean, they have... I think what's capable, Mike, of a Super Bowl defense, but their offense is so porous. They're playing the Tennessee Titans, and I'm looking and seeing the score. 17 nothing after three quarters? Like, they they score a couple late touches just to make the score respectable, but don't fool yourself, okay? Just because it says 24-17, this was not that close because... Uh, Nick Foles and their offense can't do anything. With that kind of a defense, normally you feel like, well, as long as you can run the ball, you play time of possession, you should be okay. But they can't do that effectively with with, uh, Montgomery. And before we really dissect it, take a listen to what Matt
1: Nagy had to say about this offense. You know, there's going to be a play here or there where you're going to get beat. And I'm saying everywhere. Like, there'll be a a mistake that that we make. Um, Everybody, whether it's coaches and or players, but the ones that that bother me are the ones where you have the senseless ones with the, the you know, the penalties that set you back five yards and make a second and 15 or their drive killers. You know, those are the ones that and again, you know, we're discussing that we we talk about that and they're continuing to happen. So. That has to stop. It just you you have to get in a rhythm, man. And in the red zone, you got to be more effective.
2: Well, it's more than just penalties in the red zone. They began the game zero for eight in the third down. How the hell do you fix this Bears offense, Mike? Oh, first of all, they they were two for I think they were two for fifteen or
3: something like that on third down in the game. And this is the worst. This is historically, historically, the worst third down defense in all of football. I mean, so this is really bad, and you can't get them. And he said something about penalties, right? Okay, first drive of the game with his vaulted script, BU, Matt, BU, right? He's got that written on his play sheet, BU. He goes six plays. He gets 41 yards. They turn the ball over on downs. They can't get third and one. Now, last year, they're the worst third and one football team in all of football. They couldn't convert. They had no power in their offensive line. They fired their line coach. They brought Juan Castillo in. And guess what? They have less power now than they ever had before. So they can't convert a fourth and one. They try to run the ball. They get stuffed. All right. So but there were no penalties on that drive. All right, the next play they come out, they go three and out, seven yards, no penalties on that drive. The next play they come out, three, three plays, four yards going down. No penalties on that drive. The next drive they get three plays, two yards. They went seven four two on the drives. No penalties on that drive. Then they come back out. They have a seven play drive. Hold on, man. This is you're looking at that sheet a long time when you got seven plays there, twenty three yards, no penalties, right? Then they go. Then they punt. They go four plays again, fifteen yards, one first down, no penalties. They got they got nothing. And then at the end of the half, they had they had a, for the first penalty, and, they, and that was the end of the half. So I I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. The first four drives of the game in the first quarter, he punted every single drive, or, you know, he got lost one on downs, but he gained seven, four, and two yards on those four drives. He gained basically on on three drives, he gained 13 yards and, and with no penalties. So, like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, his offense is broken. Like, he is not a good offensive designer. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. It, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And he doesn't have an answer for it because here's the fundamental issue. He can't play with power. He hired the line coach to fix the line. And what happened? He made it worse. He's made it worse. Now, you could say, well, they had a bunch of injuries in the line. No, 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 no. They've been bad at that offensive line since, as Tony would say, since time immemorial. I mean, they've been bad, right? And so the, that's the fact. Like, that's the fact. I've been bitching about this for so long. They're in Chicago. There's wind. There's rain. There's snow. There's sleet. There's hail. There's all sorts of shit. And you can't gain the length of you know what because you got no power in your offensive line. That, to me, is not a production problem. That's a design problem. You know you're playing on a slow grass field, and you're the GM, and you're the head coach. And you got to say, Matt, look, I know Kansas City. I know it's Andy Reid. However, we got to play with a little bit more power. We need power when we have it no power
2: no power at all david montgomery is their leading rusher right now he's got 472 yards he averages 3.6 he's got one touchdown this year and i'm not putting it all on montgomery like you said it's the offensive line as well and Foles has proven once again we know who nick Foles is so i'll give you the numbers seven games played 1746 yards okay he throws about 250 yards a game 10 touchdowns seven picks he's streaky but he's not great he's not going to be the guy to lead your team to victory he can do it for the eagles for a couple times you know obviously in the playoffs, Philly's all the rest of it. But this Bears offense, and now the trade deadline's come and gone, Mike. You can't fix it. Now you're 5-4. and four, The Packers are 6-2. and two, At best, your wild card team. And if I'm the defense, you know how salty I would be? Like, we are carrying this team. We are somehow above 500, and the offense can't even hold a pail of water. And we got a head coach who's an offensive coach. They're looking at him like, yo, dude, you got to fix this, man? Like, what are you
3: doing? And Mitch is sitting over there rehabbing his shoulder, saying, see, it wasn't all my fault. See, this is helping Mitch out. They're leading rusher, yesterday today but barcavius mingo he had 11 yards rushing i mean david montgomery had seven carries for five yards against the tennessee titans defense which is really a bad defense i mean the tennessee titans defense you can't get any worse than they were going into the game they were they were giving up over four and a half yards a carry i mean they going into the game they were at 60 percent conversion on third down. if you don't move the ball against bad When do you move the ball? When do you move the ball? I mean, if you're Ryan Pace, like, what are you saying to yourself? Like, what do you say? You're five and four. You know, you got, and and the defense just gets to the point. You got 17 points in the fourth quarter. When the game was over, the game was over. It was, like you said, it wasn't that even close. Like, you could sit there and blame penalties. You're the most penalized team in all of football. You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Like, it's pretty clear where Matt Nagy sits as a head coach. It's pretty clear i'm not attacking matt as a person i don't know him. i'm just trying to be honest and aware and if you're looking at what's going on and you're evaluating the situation of the chicago offense you have no choice but to accept the fact that they don't have a good design de filippo's there bill laser's there Uh, again you know you brought those two coaches in to help you come up with a design and the design is horrible It's horrible. Is it DeFilippo's fault? I don't know. You know, he went to Minnesota after Philadelphia. got fired in Minnesota, went to Jacksonville, got fired, come to Chicago. I don't know. I'm sure he'll be up for every head coaching job known to mankind this offseason because he's got a great PR campaign. But the reality of it is, is like, tell me, tell me where this Bears offense is, is imaginative. Tell me what they're doing. You've made all these changes, right? And you haven't gotten any better. So that tells me you don't know really what your
2: problems are. You mentioned Mingo, by the way, the leading rusher. That came in a fake punt. That's how bad it is. You have to rely on, like, trickery to try to generate any sort of sustained offense. Uh, speaking of offensive struggles.
0: <laughs> yeah, speaking of them, yeah, it, that's pretty bad. And that was Mike Lombardi, longtime GM in the National Football League with n- numerous stops and Adnan Verk on the GM shuffle. Wherever you download your podcast, look for the GM Shuffle. They do a great job of breaking down uh, the National Football League. But that was just a long, extended rip job, and rightfully so, on a piss-poor Bears offense and Matt Nagy. That's a national perspective of how someone who's been in the league as a general manager for a long time, and Mike Lombardi and Adnan Virk, when you fire up an Adnan Virk, boy, you know you're not doing well. But the numbers speak for themselves. And so Bill Lazor is the man. He's going to be calling the plays. Okay. Here's what we're going to find out. Is it the personnel or is it the play calling? We're going to find out. It's the two Ps, right? As much as I like the personnel for the Bears, they can't flourish if the quarterback doesn't give them the ball or if the offensive line doesn't give Foles an opportunity to get it done. The holes have to open up for Montgomery, whoever's going to run the football, and we'll see what happens. Remember, People looked at the first five, six games of the season and said the Bears are just you know paper champions or they're beating up the bad teams in the league. Well, they were. Imagine if the Bears would have lost, and they, they came razor-thin, a razor-thin margin of losing against Detroit and the Giants and Atlanta, but they won those ball games. And now, after a three-game losing streak, a Titan team that they should have uh, defeated, a Colts team they should have defeated— And now, coming up on Monday night, they take on the Vikings. Now, we get really into the heart of the schedule moving forward here. Not just the three losses in those games, but now you're going to go and take on a number of teams in the division, the the NFC North. I don't know how this is all going to materialize. Remember, at the beginning of the season on this podcast, I said the Bears would be 8-8. They very well could be 8-8 at the end of the season. We'll see.
1: This is Tony LaRusso's Wikipedia page. Now, granted, Wikipedia people have the power to edit it, but just Jerry. read the first line for us, please. It says, Anthony LaRusso, born October 4, 1944,
2: is the current manager of the Chicago Whites. It's Th-
4: official! <laughs> it's official. Wikipedia said it. <laughs> hey, Rich. It's Jerry. It's official. I put it on Wikipedia. <laughs> you did what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh, you know they had an editing feature on the Wikipedia, I could just put his name in there, wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: do you mean, editing feature? What do you mean? I didn't announce it yet.
4: It's okay, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What how, do you mean, editing feature?
0: How Danny?
2: Mu- Jerry, how much How much are you going to pay Tony? How much is he going to come in here and make? Three million a year? Not you, I want Jerry to answer that.
4: Oh, what did you make at 83? <laughs> maybe slightly above that. You're in a pandemic, you know. You didn't have anybody is a guarantee ballpark. <laughs> so I was like, a bit right, slightly above. You. What have you made in '83, you know, you know, I, you know, me and I, me and Eddie, we decided to give him something fair. It was fair. It was fair. I mean, he doesn't need money. We don't have to have any tag dates for him. I mean, it's fine. You don't have to ring the bell for Tony. <laughs> He's, he's a millionaire we just give him an opportunity get out of the rocket chair
2: yeah, you know? jerry does uh does he, does that cl- uh, contract have a uh, personal
4: driver clause for tony to get oh, to him from the ballpark well, absolutely you know you gotta have some i mean that, of course we got people to do that absolutely Good. harold's got a driver <laughs> we we exhume harold you know he's been, <laughs> he's been wicked at harold's for years yeah. When you put him in the Hall of Fame, just so people know he's still alive, <laughs> you put a put a mirror under his nose to make sure he's still breathing. But <laughs> well, I love Harold. That was my second choice. But just be terrible with the media. But <laughs> I mean, you gotta talk if you're gonna be in the media. But Tony can talk. You know, you can talk. So here we go. I'm gonna hire wow. Tony. I'm gonna right the wrong. Oh God. Wow. My second choice, if it wasn't Billy, if Billy was gonna take the Philly job. Doug Collins. Who's gonna turn the clock all the way back. <laughs> Doug, we understand what happened. The, all, the everything that happened, you know, and behind closed doors. But you know what? Eh, call a spade a spade. You were wrong. Let's get back in there.
5: 312. 332.
4: 3776? I I can change the Wikipedia page. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Technology is great. It's, it's really you start, you create your own narrative, it's unbelievable. Hope we can win. Time's
0: ticking. <laughs> yes, Tony La Russa. And as you heard from owner Jerry there, owner Jerry says that Tony La Russa is going to be the manager. That was um, actually right before the official announcement that Tony La Russa is going to be the manager for the Chicago White Sox. So as we always do, we always do a little satire on Cap'n J-Hood. You never know when owner Jerry is ever going to stop by and talk about his guy Tony La Russa. So as a White Sox fan, as I think I might have mentioned in the previous podcast that Tony La Russa was the first manager I remember as a kid. Uh, watching the White Sox in the early 80s and seeing the White Sox win the division in 1983, La Russa was a manager at that time. Larusa moved on, though, to become a Hall of Fame manager. He was good with the White Sox, just getting him to the playoffs. But when Hawk Harrelson was the GM, he fired Tony Larusa. Russa. And so they moved forward, the White Sox, and a lot of ups and downs, a lot more downs and ups, actually, with this White Sox team. And while that was happening, Tony LaRusa was having a Hall of Fame managerial career with the Cardinals and the A's. And he was out of baseball for a while. But while he was out of baseball, this story had popped up about his first DUI and now he's had his second DUI. Uh, once you have had issues with alcoholism once and then it happens again, it's a major problem. Uh, I've had alcoholism in my family. And it is something that is very serious, especially when you get behind a wheel. La Russa was arrested in February in the Phoenix area, but the case was not filed until October 28th, one day before he was officially hired by the White Sox. He was cited for DUI and registering a blood alcohol content of .08 or more, which is a misdemeanor. It is the second known drunk driving arrest for La Russa who uh, in 2007 pleaded guilty to misdemeanor DUI in Florida. When reached by ESPN this past Monday night, LaRusso says, I got nothing to say and hung up the phone. A White Sox spokesman said that the organization was aware of the incident, but would not comment further since it's an active case. Then you fast forward to uh, a few days ago where the White Sox made a statement, but the White Sox statement did not have a lot of teeth to it. They pretty much try to sweep it under the rug by saying, hey, we're not going to comment on it because it's an active case. But here's the thing that is really disheartening and not a lot of things. First of all, Tony La Russa at age 76 should know better. That man should have a Lyft, and Uber. Uh, that guy should have a limo, but he should not be operating a vehicle uh, when he's been intoxicated, especially when he's had one DOI and now he's got two. Imagine if this is Dusty Baker. Imagine if this was Joe Madden. Imagine if this was Dave Roberts. Imagine if this was some other manager. Um, there would be a lot of conversation like, what's wrong with this guy? Tony La Russa has a problem with alcohol. And he doesn't definitely has a problem with alcohol and getting behind the wheel. Uh, now he's going to be the manager of the White Sox. And my whole thought on this is, is that I'm not turning in my Sox jersey or stopping a White Sox fan because La is the manager. Uh, but Tony La Russa, uh, is going to have a hard time, I think, connecting to this young locker room based on something that he's done. Now, a DUI having several of them and then initially not reaching out to young players, uh as soon as he got the job, I think his problem it, it's it's really problematic. Now, from what I understand that Larus has talked to a few of the players now and reached out to them instead of just meeting him in Glendale. Arizona for spring training, it's smart for him to reach out to those players. I don't know if he was prompted to do so, but I just thought it was very odd that he was named the manager and didn't speak to any of the significant players, especially a, a player of color like Tim Anderson and some of the others, right? So it, it, it's just, um, my, my feeling is this, is if this was not Tony LaRusso, I'm wondering how Jerry Reinsdorf would look at someone with two DUIs. But because Jerry and Tony have a great relationship over the years, I think Tony will probably get out out from underneath this and still go through the issues with the media, the slings and arrows of the media, and then still manage the ball club. Uh, that, that very well could be the case. I'm just saying, like, if this is someone else, I'm not sure that that person's in place. The other thing that we come to find out through uh, back channels, through some reports, is that the White Sox... A lot of the people in the front office were just blindsided by this LaRussa DUI charge, or just Larusa becoming the manager of the White Sox. This is all on Jerry Reinsdorf. You could see the uh, bemused, con, you know, uh, just I guess uh, amazed look on the face of Rick Hahn as he had to sit there and try to sell this to White Sox fans. This is not what he had in mind. Uh, maybe Kenny thought it was okay, but I don't think Rick Hahn thought, as general manager, this is the right guy for the right time to fire Rick Renneria for a 76-year-old manager. This is all on Jerry Reinsdorf. And to find out, allegedly, that many in the White Sox organization had no idea that this was a thing, that um, La Russa had a DUI, uh, is something. It's really something. And for a organization that was humming along nicely, harmonious, everything was going well, and then all this drops in their lap, um, just from coast to coast, the White Sox have been a laughing stock because of the hire and then, of course, the, the DUI and, of course, what was said Right. Tony La Russa says I'm a Hall of Fame manager. Look at my ring. All this stuff. Do you know who I am? All that kind of stuff. Now, listen, he clearly was intoxicated. So he's going to say some shit that just what drunk people say. Uh, I get that. But just I, like, dude, like you're 76 act like an adult. Really, I mean seriously, take care of yourself. He shouldn't be driving anyway, especially if he knows he's gonna go out and have a good time. Someone could drive him. There's cabs. There's other places, things that you could do to make sure that you're not behind the wheel in the in, in a position where you can hurt somebody, hurt yourself, hurt somebody, kill someone. You know, it just it's so ridiculous. So, um, for an organization that was doing nice, nicely, and respected because of uh, how they were able to plug in the Latinx pipeline everything was going well with this White Sox team and now look at what's happening being laughed at because of La Russa being laughed at and just and people wondering like what's really going on in the organization and then on top of that with Rick Hahn right Rick Hahn who I respect a lot of people in the organization I respect and they're trying to get to a World Series championship the right way by building, uh, through the minor league system, opening up the the Latin pipeline. Of course, Jerry Reinsdorf opening up his wallet to spend over around two hundred million dollars in free agent spending that helped the White Sox for sure. Having a grand doll in the mix and adding others, um, like Dallas Keuchel to the mix. But point is like I okay. So at a, every all those good signs that you had for the White Sox, all those good things for the White Sox. This happens where Larusa has a DUI and he's still employed with the team. You know, they could easily, the Sox had easily said, okay, you know what, Tony, why don't you resign and get your life together? And will you always be part of the White Sox family, but maybe you're not in a position right now to, manage the team because of your personal issues, we'll look in a different direction. So far, the as we talk about this on the 14th of November, dude is still the manager for the white Sox. Okay. If anyone wondered who the boss was on the South side, we just, so you know, it's Jerry Reinsdorf. If you were wondering, does he still have a say? He's got a major say. And the La Russa hire was one of his, of Jerry's own doing. This is not on Rick, or I don't even think this is on Kenny Williams. He just wanted to write a wrong. Even though Rick Hahn denies what I said on the morning show, that Ryan's was trying to write a wrong, that's exactly what it is. It's his friend. He put him in there. It is the height of privilege, the height of privilege that Larusa has two DUIs, 76 years old, and gets a chance to manage a ball club. Even though it's clear that he's got some issues with alcoholism and getting behind the wheel, so that's one major story with the White Sox. The other thing is that the White Sox are now on ESPN One Thousand. So after my time at, at uh, SCR and going going from the dial uh, down the dial to up the dial, um, after my time at SCR, I went to ESPN One Thousand this September of two thousand five. Really cool. Because that was the year that my Chicago White Sox uh, got to the World Series, as you well know. So I was dropped right into a position where the White Sox was going to have a shot at doing something special in 2005. I remember doing shows with Yurko and Dan McNeil at U.S. Cellular. At the time, doing it from the ballpark and getting a chance to be around the ball club uh, during the playoffs of 05. It was just a whirlwind after being let go or my contract not being renewed. And then two weeks later, right into uh, the White Sox and their winning ways in 2005 in September of that year. And then watching my favorite team get to the World Series. It was great, just awesome. Um, So I'm happy that the Sox are. Gonna be with the ESPN 1000 for some time, for quite a while apparently, and that's really cool. Um, you know, when I was there in '05, they were the home of the White Sox, and now 15 years later, here they come back for uh, an opportunity to maybe do have some more magic on ESPN 1000. So I'm really happy for Mike Thomas and Good Karma Broadcasting that they were able to get this deal done and that uh, the White Sox have a home. Uh, on ESPN one thousand. It's it's great. Um so that's not gonna stop me from getting in getting in that ass when they are underachieving or me just going over the top about, you know, them winning against the twins or teams in the division. Cause the White Sox that's the team that means the most to me in the city. Um me being a Southsider and the Sox being on the South side, it means a lot to me. So I'm just cool. I'm re- really cool with the idea that the White Sox and ESP 1000 are together again. So that's great. And shout out to Jose Abreu, man. I'm so happy for him being the American League of, uh, most valuable player. I'm so happy for him. Uh, for a guy that sat through and ate a lot of dog shit. Over 500 losses you know, as a player right into last year. Like 500, and I wrote it down earlier 542 losses or something like that. But over 500 losses as a White Sox player, a lot of losses and a lot of uh, uh, bad teams. And then he goes from that to getting to the playoffs last year to the MVP. I couldn't be happy for him. I, you you can't you can't not look at the White Sox after 500 losses. The dude gets to the MVP, and the Sox went from Frank Thomas to Paul Konerko to Jose Abreu, how the transition of Frank, who played first base, then went to a DH, Canerco, and then right to Jose Abreu, it has been seamless over at first base for the White Sox. They've gotten that position right as far as leadership, and power and ability uh, for a long time. So I'm happy for Jose. Just um, uh, a great honor for a guy that easily could have went someplace else. You know, when he's a free agent, that was not popular from Sox fans. It's like, why bring him back? And I said, you know what? He needs to be the leader of this baseball team. And you know what? He became dangerous up there a lot. When you watched him up there, he became dangerous you watching him up there and like, wow, it, when Jose's up there, he's going to do something special. And uh, I'm really happy for him because uh, I just thought that was really cool. MVP Jose, congratulations. Do you know the draft is coming up for the NBA in a few days? <laughs> well, this sports calendar goes fast, doesn't it? And it's so upside down because of COVID-19 in 2020, but it is upside down. You know, the draft is like in a few days, next week, right? And so when it comes to the Bulls, it's a team that's already pretty young, as you well know, and they've got some really good parts. And so the Bulls will be drafting fourth. And I don't know whether or not the Bulls should trade the pick. And go down for more picks, or should they trade it just to try to have an established veteran? Um, I remember, I know earlier in the week, if you go back to the Cap and Jay Hood podcast, you'll hear a conversation I started with David regarding uh, Russell Westbrook because Russ wants out of Houston. It's crazy, man. These guys just—they're just—they're vagabonds going across this the country from one place to the other. Russell Westbrook is cool to watch. Russell Westbrook is not a winning player. Russell Westbrook shoots under 26% from three-point range. For a guy with the ball in his hands, the lion share of the time, that dude cannot, he, he, he can't elevate my team to a championship level. For sure, if Russell Westbrook was on the Bulls, the Bulls would be in the playoffs. But, you know, you have six or seven other teams that are more talented than the Bulls, even if Westbrook was on the team. And so that's a whole issue with him. He's 32 years of age. He just had his birthday this week. And so that just doesn't work. Um, It's interesting that he wants out of Houston. Maybe he's not getting enough shots because of James Harden. Uh, I just know that young Steven Silas, who just became the the, uh, uh, head coach of that team, already has a headache on his hands. If Westbrook wants out, what does that team look like? the small pocket Rockets, and then James Harden, who gets Michael Jordan calls. That dude's special. There's no doubt he's a special talent. But again, a lot of these guys um, are really talented players, but they're not winning players when you really need them to be able to step step on the gas and give you what you need, like a Kawhi Leonard uh, did for Toronto. When you see that from LeBron James, when you see that from uh, Anthony Davis, uh, it's it's very few guys that you look at in this league and say, oh, for sure, you give them the ball and you're automatically going to win. Right? So Westbrook to the Bulls is interesting. But even though he was coached by Billy Donovan, I just don't think that works. I asked Ryan Rossillo though, because Ryan Rossillo came on Captain Jay Hood. Russillo was just... He's plugged in. The guy could have been a front office executive, but he moved out of Connecticut after his time at ESPN. Now working with the Ringer, and he has the Ryan Rosillo podcast. That guy's great when it comes to um, the NBA and just very thoughtful when it comes to sports. And Ryan was on our show uh, because instead of being, you know, the guy could have been a front office executive, but now he's like with the Ringer, but also a writer. if, I guess for movies, which is which shows you the depth of knowledge is, that uh, Ryan has. I asked him the question, I said, what's more important to the Bulls? Should they keep the pick or trade the pick? What's more valuable to the Bulls based on their roster composition? So, look you're, There's an easier way to look at that, John. Like you're, you're asking the perfect question, right? Because we all sit here, any fan base of any of these teams that aren't that good, that have these high picks, it's like, man, just
5: trade the pick. <laughs> okay yeah but for who and i still have hope for some guys on this bulls roster like marketing story was was looking like it was like heading in the right direction he was a guy that gave you a chance maybe something special and then you're like ah okay that's not gonna work out i for whatever maybe, maybe i'm just stubborn maybe i watched too many bulls games and was like what's going on here with wendell carter but i have hope there you know kobe had flashes um, Zach has gotten better, although, like you know, I really worry about him being in charge and kind of being the number one option of an offense. So, if you're telling me you can add somebody that you know really is a top three option in Chicago, then then okay. But I don't know if that guy exists. You know, is Kelly Oubre get you excited? No, um, no, he does not. Right? You know, um, Chris Paul's. You know, the ten teams that are interested in Chris Paul, Chicago is not brought up. Um. You know, does Eric Bledsoe get you excited? Does Pat Beverly get you excited? Montrez Harrell? You know, um, there's always some stuff you can do with the the cap and, and get, I always, whenever I look at a team financially, you know, some teams are really lucky and some teams are totally over the cap, but you know, there's ways You can get some people involved if you want to get creative. But I think for Chicago, you don't worry about roster. You don't worry about need. You don't worry about having too many guards. You don't worry about Barkin or Carter being in somebody's way. You just go, hey, this is the guy that we think is the fourth best player in the draft. And this draft is such a weird mess at the top that I I just don't think there's this massive demand out there.
0: Like, that you're going to get this 15-point-a-game guy to come in for one of these picks the way you would in another draft. So Ryan Rosillo, on with Cap and Jay Hood, um, got a chance to talk to him, and he's very well thought out when he talks about the the draft. Like If you trade the pick, what are you trading it for? And how much does that person elevate your team? It's a a good question. So I guess if I'm the Bulls, I look at Tyrese Halliburton. I know Iowa State Bulls fans. I know a lot of Iowa State over the last few years, but – Tyrese Halliburton seems like he's the perfect guard for the Bulls if you're going to keep the pick. 6'5", point guard at Iowa State. He was um, born in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and... His athleticism, first of all, his size is terrific. He's very good defensively with a long wingspan. He's got terrific quickness, decent jump shot. He definitely is NBA ready. He's very good passing the basketball as well and pretty decent with his intangibles. So um, those things, he's got to get bigger, obviously, he's 6'5", 185. So he's going to have to get in the weight room for sure. But when you think about him's ball handling, his, his potential, his passing, his size, his quickness, it's all there. And so I think that might be a value pick for the Bulls at that position, unless they go down and try to get more picks. Um, but I look at the youth on this basketball team now, as you heard Ryan talk about with Wendell Carter Jr. and uh, Laurie Markin, and you, know, you already have some quality young players on this roster. Now you need someone to coach them. And I'm glad Billy Donovan is with the Bulls to help them get that done because... Eee, it wasn't very good <laughs> it, it wasn't very good under um, Jim Boylan that is for sure hey, so don't forget to check out the podcast and J Hood show mornings between 7 and 10 on ESPN 1000 the ESPN Chicago app and if you do not catch the show live uh, Check out the podcast. I'll put it right there in the description for you to check out. Thanks so much for listening to the Under the Hood podcast as always. Look forward to reviewing the draft with you next Saturday on the podcast and so many other things. And uh, if you're a wrestling fan. Check out Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Drop a podcast every Tuesday talking pro wrestling slash sports entertainment with you every Tuesday. So check it out. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Uh, Wherever you get it from Spotify, from Apple Podcasts, from Google. It's all there. Or tell somebody. John the Hood Talks Wrestling Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm John the Hood. Thanks so much for checking out the Under the Hood podcast. And I hope that you check out Captain J Hood Mornings between 7 and 10 on ESPN 1000. Hope that you enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much as always for supporting Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
4: your right hand in the air, put the left one in your underwear, now tickle the cat, tickle the cat, now tickle the cat, tickle the cat, ooh, she had the fool on the day.